invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. It's good to see everyone out this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're so pleased to have you. Uh, if you have been visiting with us for a long time but have recently uh, joined the, the church here or recently become a Christian, we're happy that you're here as well. We're just um, so blessed uh, here that there are so many that have given their lives to God and that have, uh, that have begun striving to continue that work that we're supposed to be about of this church and in this kingdom. Um, like I said, if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 5, this is one of my favorite passages uh, throughout the, the whole Bible. And, and I think that there's good reason for that because uh, there is uh, really just a beautiful statement that, that Peter makes. There's a beautiful message that Jesus gives um, in this passage. And really in just 11 verses here, there are powerful, I'd say, applications that we need to make. Uh, all throughout. And so I just want to read this very quickly. It says in verse 1 of Luke chapter 5, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Um, when you think about the word discipleship, what all Christians are supposed to be, disciples of Christ, I think here's a very good story, a very good um, really case study of what a disciple is willing to do, how obedient a disciple is, and really how quickly he hears the, the uh, instruction and the commandment of his teacher, of his master. I really want to focus in on Peter this morning, especially what you see in verse 5. You realize the, the level of his, um, really the beautiful statement that he makes. I like the way the English Standard Version puts it. But at your word. I read from the New American Standard. I, I like that as well. But I think the ESV uh, makes the case even more beautifully. We have toiled all night. We are very tired. But at your word, absolutely. I really want to focus in on Peter's willingness and Peter's obedience in the face of what I would say are inconvenient commandments or inconvenient instructions that Jesus gives to him. In the first place, in verse 3, as we just read, Jesus' request, just from the very outset, is disruptive to Peter's work schedule. If you uh, know anything about Peter, you know his occupation. His job is a fisherman, and he would be uh, working 
throughout the long nights to try and catch <laughs> hopefully something uh, uh, attaining to what you see at the last half of the, of the passage that we just read here. But, but generally they would work in the night. And I, I think that even today, a lot of uh, fishermen, they will still uh, kind of do this at nighttime because uh, in a lot of places, this is when the, the fish will school and, and they'll have a better chance at getting greater catches. But so what we find from the beginning is this is after a long night's hard work for Peter and even the sons of Zebedee, James and John. But even after such a long night's work, and after how hard they had toiled, how tired they would be, how ready to eat they probably would be, they would still have to end the day by washing their nets. You see them doing that. This was a part of their job. And, and there are many reasons for that. One reason is you want to make sure that you maintain the equipment that you're using. But this was still a part of their work day. And this is when Jesus comes in and says, Let's, let's, let's go out into the sea. Let's, let's uh, push out a ways into the, into the water. And Peter, so beautifully, even though he was still working, even though he'd be very hungry, even though he would be exhausted, he does what Jesus says. I think that that's beautiful just from the very beginning of the story. He could have looked at Jesus and said, Lord, I'm busy. Please just come back at a more convenient time. <laughs> he could have said that. He could have said, I'm just too tired for this. He could have said, it's no use. I, you know, I just give up. But that's not what Peter says. That's what many others who come and meet Jesus for the first time and hear his commands, hear his instructions, God's expectations for them, that's what they would say. But Peter, he says, at your word. Not only that, but the next commandment that Jesus gives to Peter to put down the nets for a catch this request just seems really pointless. It seems futile. What's the point? Peter really was the expert here. He was the fisherman. And he had probably done everything that he knew to do, but really to no avail. And you see in his, his statement back to Jesus, we have worked all night for this and, and nothing has been accomplished. But at your word. Again, he could have said, Everything that you, that you could do has already been done, Jesus. So why bother? He could have said, because Jesus wasn't a, a, a fisherman by trade, he could have just said, why don't, why don't you stick to carpentry and, and I'll stick to the fishing. I think I know a little bit more. I think I know a little bit better. That's not what he says. Now, I, I wanted to start with these, these two commandments because they absolutely, when you think about it, when you think about the context, you think about everything that Peter had been doing up to this point and the fact that he's still in the middle of his work day, these commandments could have been such a hindrance for him. They could have turned out to be a stumbling block because, or at least just off-putting. But he instead obeys Jesus faithfully. And there is a lesson there. The, the commandments of God can often be off-putting to many. The gospel, one of the reasons that when we talk about evangelism, that we need to be, have, have a good conduct and make sure that we are not being maybe, um, maybe arrogant or, or too pushy or offensive, you know, just senselessly offensive, is the gospel's already offensive enough. This message, God's word, tells people you need to change fundamentally. And, and, and so we make the effort to make sure that we are just presenting the gospel and that we're not being that hindrance, being that stumbling block. But regardless of, of how it's presented, regardless of who the gospel is presented to, we need to respond 
like Peter. Because there are going to be times, even for those of us who are Christians already, who are already disciples, there are going to be moments where we have an instruction from God, we have an expectation from God, but it is going to be off-putting to a degree. It's going to maybe disrupt our schedules. And so this brings us to one of the main points, which is Peter's response here. This is how we must, as disciples of Christ, as his students, as his followers, this is how we must react with the same quick, faithful obedience. Not just compliance, but obedience. First of all, we need to, like Peter, prioritize God's will over our schedule. We need to allow God's commandments and his expectations to disrupt our schedule. There are... Um, Clearly, some who don't, even in Jesus' uh, Jesus's ministry, over in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 at the very end of the chapter, a, very interesting, a, a few very interesting encounters. Beginning in verse 57 of Luke chapter 9, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But, but first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So here's three uh, encounters with Jesus from three different individuals. All the same expectation. All commanded to respond, to accept the same invitation, which is become a disciple of Christ. Follow me. Now, what's interesting is that each person has something else that seems a higher priority than following Jesus, at least in their own mind. Now, we look at this, especially if you've read the Bible before, we understand, no, that's, there's nothing that, that trumps the priority of following Jesus. But in their minds, they, they definitely had different priorities, mixed priorities. And I think sometimes we do the very same thing. Even though, even though maybe we have initially, we have begun our following Christ. We have begun uh, as a disciple, but sometimes through our actions we show that we do not really want His will and His word to disrupt our, our lives. I think this is, is very prevalent when it comes to just the time that we invest in God's word daily. We're supposed to be. There is a very strong, heavy expectation from God all throughout the scriptures, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that we are going to be seeking him daily in his word, that we are going to listen to him every single day. But I'll just say, it's hard to invest in God's word for the day when it's bedtime. <laughs> when you have worked all day, and you just, I'm too tired for this. Let me ask, was that how Peter responded? He was exhausted, but at your word. I, I love the hymn that we sometimes sing, Did You Think to Pray? <laughs> it really gets you thinking about your prayer life, and we, we've even been talking about this in our Sunday morning Bible classes, but it really makes you think, I mean, am, am I being active in this? Am I really seeking to, to go before the throne of God in this way? What, what is an excuse that we often say? Well, I just don't have enough time. You know, I, I mean, maybe we don't say that outright, but that's what we show just because we will not allow our schedule to be messed up. 
You look at the example of Daniel. It wasn't a matter of allowing his schedule to get met. He moved his schedule around to pray to God. He had, a, he had a pattern in his life. That's beautiful. But sometimes we don't have, we haven't gotten that far. We haven't gotten to that level of maturity. Rather, it's, we show our, our, our lack of a prayer life, our lack of faithfulness to God by, by really saying, I just don't have enough time for you, Lord. Now, that's not what Peter said. I'm in the middle of what, can you at least let me finish my work? Day? Can you at least let me clean the nets and get it all finished and then we can go? It's not what Peter said. But at your word. Um, what, what happens if whenever someone gives us a call and says, I need help on a Saturday? Ooh, if it was any other day. I mean, those are the days that I'm really on it. This is me time. This is my day off. And so I really, I'm sorry, but, but, but it's just not a convenient time. What happens when it's a Christian that's asking, I, I need some help? Ooh, call me tomorrow. Ooh, should have called me yesterday. No, the attitude of Peter was right now, urgently. Of course I'm going to do this. Why? Because I'm a disciple. Because when, when, you, when you know Christ, when you know he is Lord and he is king, it's at your word. I will do anything. I won't just wait for a convenient time. And I would just say, growth hardly ever comes at a convenient time. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if we could just schedule, this is, this is the moment that I'm going to grow exponentially in my Bible knowledge. This is the, this is, uh, these five minutes, this is where I'm going to lose that 10 pounds. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but it's hardly ever that convenient. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes dedication. Commitment. The kind of commitment that says, all right, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll do it. When you say it, I'll do it. And let me, just add, let me just add to that. If Peter had been too busy for God, he wouldn't have witnessed this miracle. If he had just waited for a convenient time, he wouldn't have been able to, to get to the point at the end of this passage where, where he bows before God manifested in the flesh. What might we be missing out on if we act like we are too busy in our own lives? Well, not only that, that but we need to understand from, from Peter's response here, that obeying God is never pointless. Again, in verse 3 of Luke chapter 5, you could so easily put yourself in, in Peter's shoes because especially if you've had a job at any time, you know how exhausting an all-day uh, labor uh, can be. Me and my brother, our first job was bailing hay. And I mean, I, I look back on it fondly, but I would never do it again and because it was hard. And there were days where we started before the sun came up and ended after the sun went down. Those are days that I look back on fondly because it's like, oh, man, I did that. But I would not look forward to next Saturday knowing that's what I'm going to do because that's difficult. And it takes a lot of time. And it's going to take all day. But especially when you put yourself in Peter's shoes after having this, this, this really fruitless endeavor throughout the night as he's been trying to catch fish, hasn't caught any, he hears Jesus say, hey, can, can, we, can we go out? No, it doesn't even have anything to do with fishing. He just says, hey, can we just go out in the boat? He doesn't say, what is the point in this? Why does this matter? I love the fact that Peter does this so quickly, even when he doesn't realize that it's going to have anything to do with fishing. It's just, the Lord said. It, it, essentially, it's, uh, what was that? Oh, you want to go? Oh, okay, let's go, let's go. I, I wonder, are we that um, excited? Are we that, um, or do we anticipate the Lord's word like that? 
It doesn't sound like he has any, uh, when you look at Luke chapter 5, any uh, really begrudging notion. It doesn't seem like he's just kind of drudging along, okay. He just does it. And I love that level of, of commitment. He doesn't say, what does this have to do with anything? And let me just add, just because I don't know what God's commandment may mean, I think that that's, that's far and few between. I think that's very rare. But even if there is one moment where God tells us that we need to do something as his people, as, as a servant of Christ, even if I don't know why that is, that doesn't mean it's pointless. We need to understand that. And, I, you know, when you think about just Paul's example, what if Paul had said something like this during his ministry? Why? <laughs> He suffered a lot. He, he had to suffer through many afflictions. You think about 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he's talking about the thorn in the flesh. And he, after everything he's done, I mean, why do, why do I have to deal with this? He goes to God three separate times. Three separate times God says, no, it won't be removed. Now, did Paul say, why do we have to even deal with this? Do you, do you see how much I'm doing for you, Lord? No, Instead of having that kind of regretful reaction, he says, if that's what Jesus says, that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, then I am going to joyfully preach, even with the thorn in the flesh. I am going to joyfully show how his grace is more powerful than even some of the worst afflictions. His, his circumstances didn't change. His demeanor changed. And why? Because this is, this is the Lord. This is God. Not only that, but he could have said, what does this have anything to do with me? Why could you not have chosen someone else who has not spent the last several hours trying to work and who is not currently washing their nets? Now, let me just say, it may be that it has very little to do with us, yet look at what God accomplishes through Peter's minimal effort, truly. Wouldn't you want to have a part in God's work, even if it had just a very little part in it? Even if maybe you think, ah, I'm not really doing much. You plant the seed in someone's life. You, you, you just say something about the gospel. You may not see it initially, but maybe in a few years, at some point, they remember that conversation. I remember him saying something about, about this. And it wasn't what I usually heard people talk about when they, when they are talking about the Bible. And then they, they continue down that path of what happens? They get baptized. Well, does it matter that you just had a very little to do with it? Someone else may have done all the studying. Someone else may have done all of the, the, the meetups with them and, and striving. And not to take away from that work, but let me just say, that little work that you may have done, look at what it accomplished. Now again, God is the one that causes the growth. But what a beautiful thing that we get to be a part of that process. And I want to, to have that kind of mindset, like Peter, that even when he doesn't necessarily see the point, I'm going to do what God says. That, that's, the, that's the kind of attitude of a disciple. But when you get mainly to verse 5, the, 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 the theme uh, of, our, of our text this morning, the theme of our lesson, not only had he done what Jesus said in going out into the sea, going back out into the water, but now Jesus says, put out your nets for a catch. And this is where I could very well see Peter saying, all right, I was willing to do all this other stuff, but come on. Don't you realize how hard we have worked? And I think that this is definitely something that, that 
Christians today have a problem with time and time again, not because they're fishermen, but because we all have said something similar at some point. But if all of this is true that we've just talked about, therefore God's will should trump our thinking or our opinion or our presumption or our doubt. Peter, who was an expert fisherman, could have said, I'm telling you this is going to be useless. Again, P Peter was the fisherman. Jesus was just a carpenter. But Peter doesn't say, why don't, why don't you just stick to what you know? I'll stick to what I know. He doesn't say it's not going to work. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't sit there and, and complain the entire time he is doing the very thing that Jesus tells him he needs to do, like a lot of children do <laughs> with their chores or when their parents come and tell them they need to do something. No, Peter does it the way a disciple is supposed to do it. Peter, Peter <laughs> truly uh, was obedient. Sometimes I think we, I think that we connect maybe compliance with obedience. That's just simply not the case. Now, sometimes compliance is, is, is good enough, like the child with the parent, but what do we want? We really want them to obey faithfully. We don't want it to just be a, whatever, I'll do it. And I don't think that's what Peter does here. For, for those of us that are Christians, how do we show this sometimes in our own lives? Again, we've talked a lot about prayer recently, but, uh, and so maybe that's why I'm thinking about it so much. But in our prayer life, sometimes I've heard Christians say things like, well, he already knows what I feel, so why bother? <laughs> he already knows what I feel, so why am I even going to go forward with this? I mean, Christians have said that even just in my short experience as a preacher. People have said that to me. Well, let me tell you something. Even though God certainly, just, I'll just concede to that. He certainly knows how you feel. He certainly already knows what you're thinking. Just like he knew what David was thinking when he would pray sometimes. And in, just like he knew what Moses was thinking before he would come and pray and intercede. He absolutely does. That should not stop us, though. Why? For one thing, because this is something that God has commanded. And no command is pointless. Remember what we already said. And so just, just from the very outset, it shouldn't stop us. But secondly, we need to understand that when God gives us a commandment, even, we, even though we may have a separate, different presumption, and, and, and we may have um, just different opinions about the matter, God ultimately knows better, Right? I can't help but think about the story of Job. Job did not see the point in any of, of what was going on. Job did not understand why anything was happening after everything that he had done for God. He didn't understand, um, uh, maybe, he, 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 he certainly wasn't told by God the conversation between the adversary Satan and God at the very beginning of Job. But what does Job do? He prays, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. He did not curse God and die like his wife suggested. He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job did not see. He did not hear that conversation. But that is what a true disciple of God, that's the kind of attitude we're supposed to have. I may not fully understand it. I may not see the point of it. I may not see why that's a part of God's will. But I need to accept it. I need to obey it. Because ultimately he knows better. And even if it's in some of the worst trials, ultimately, God's will is going to result in the best possible outcome.
I know that's hard for us to see. I know that's hard for us, especially when you look at the world and you look at all of the difficulties and all of the terrible things in the world today, the suffering and the evil. God is going to use that to bring about victory. Even though I may not see why, that, why it's happening, I know that God is going to have the victory. I know that through God's power, through his wisdom, through his knowledge, through his will, it's going to result in something great. Sometimes Christians say about Bible reading, well, it's just, it's not going to help me get to where I want to be. Are we so sure about that? It, what is Bible reading going to do for my anxiety? Well, God says it's going to do a lot. You go to his counsel, you seek his word every single day, and what that does is mold and shape the very way that you think. It's supposed to, but a lot of times people just simply don't go to it. I think this often shows itself in, in just discipline, especially church discipline. People say, that won't work. That's your opinion. That's your presumption. And frankly, it's garbage because God says this is the best thing for them. So it doesn't matter if I don't understand. Maybe, it, maybe I just don't agree with the strictures of God. That's a problem. We can deal with that later. Ultimately, even if we think that won't work, we need to do what God says because it will result in something great. Just look at the last half of the passage. Let's be, be like Peter in all of this because look at how great that reward was. In verses 6 through 11, you begin to see what is ultimately an absurd reward. And I use that word carefully and, and purposefully. The reward greatly outshined all of the struggle. And I think when you look at, you know, the nets breaking, the, the boats sinking into the sea, I think that it's supposed to be absurd. The amount of fish was, was ridiculous. And I think that was the point. Who was standing in their midst? Why is it that the reward was so great? Why is it that the, the, that the reward was so much greater and, and greatly outshined the struggle that they had to go to. Well, what did Jesus reveal in this great catch? Ultimately, in verse 8, what does Peter do? He bows before God because he recognizes this is a miracle. And so he bows before God and says, depart from me, I am a sinner. That is the proper recognition. That is the proper kind of mindset of a disciple when they realize that the situation they're in before God. When, especially when one comes into the presence of God. He understood that this is God. And only God can bring about such a great reward. Only God can bring about such a great circumstance. No one else could. Peter's already had dealings with Jesus in miraculous ways. So it's kind of interesting that, that he, he, he reacts this way in Luke chapter 5. In the previous chapter, in Luke chapter 4, in verses 38 through 39... Peter's mother-in-law had a fever and Jesus rebukes the fever and it's gone. And so you kind of wonder, how is it that Peter could, could react in such a way after seeing something like that, Jesus healing someone? Well, I think maybe Peter could have made, not written it off, but to a degree in his mind written it off by saying, well, he might have just known something that I didn't because I'm a fisherman. I don't know anything about anatomy. I don't know anything about biology or about medicine. He may have just known something I didn't. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't know how to heal because he had medical training. He healed because he was truly master over it. And I think maybe that didn't click in Peter's brain just yet. Possibly this struck Peter on a different level in, in, in Luke chapter 5. This time because Peter 
was the master of this element. He was a fisherman. He knew all the ins and outs. He knew what was supposed to happen, and he had done everything that he could. But this carpenter just showed him a whole new level of mastery. Oh, in what he thought he was so good at. <laughs> and so, what did Peter realize? This is God who is master over all. Imagine what it would have done for these fishermen who, who would have seen Jesus as he uses their own element to amaze them. Imagine what they would have felt, what they would have thought when they saw him calm the storm. As a fisherman, they would have been caught in the storm and they would have known the terror of being caught in the middle and trying for dear life to get back to the shore and trying for dear life to just stay above the waves, the, the, the treacherous waves. And to see a man, just a carpenter, say, peace be still, and everything goes quiet? The waves stop? That would have amazed them probably on a deeper level than the rest of the disciples because they knew this element. Now, all that just to say, I think we need to have this same recognition, this same realization when it comes to our discipleship because we need to understand that he is master over all. You have issues, an addiction to pornography. There's nothing that can break it. I've tried everything. He is master over the body. You have issues with anxiety. You struggle with anxiety. He is master over the mind. You, you fear the storm. He calms it with a word. He truly is the master. This is God. And only through him can such a reward be granted, be given. Now, all of this, all of this, I think, ultimately is supposed to point us to that greatest reward that God promises to his people which is heaven everything that we've talked about is true of heaven no one when you look at at at, at uh, peter and james and john no one thought about the work here we worked hard so it only makes sense that this would happen or about the 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 suffering about the effort that they had to put into it it just wasn't worth the extra energy that we had to put in to get this great catch of fish. No, you see very clearly in verse 11, they left all of that because they, they knew something greater was among them. They were following something greater than that, even that greatest catch of fish. The greatest catch that they ever had, and I'm assuming they ever would have again. They left it all because they knew who they were following. Very quickly, turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I think that as disciples of Christ today, we need to have this same level of, of mindset and attitude as we follow Christ. In Romans 8 and verse 18, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You know everything that Paul went through. Shipwreck, he was beaten, he was scourged, he was flogged, he, 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 he was left for dead, he was stoned. He had to deal with fasting. He had to deal with abundance. He had to deal with uh, a lack of, of abundance. He had to deal with a lack of comfort and luxury. He was imprisoned. Even with all those things being said, Paul can say, even when facing death, none of that can compare to the greatest reward that God promises, which is heaven. And no one, just like I don't think they would have said to Jesus in this passage, no one's going to say the work that we had to put in it only makes sense that we would get heaven. No, the reward is absurd. And that reshapes our thinking. No one's going to say, 
It just wasn't worth the suffering. It wasn't worth the afflictions. Nope. Because when we get to heaven, just like the Queen of Sheba, when she sees the, the temple that Solomon built and, and, and the wisdom of Solomon, all of which came from God, we are going to say the very same words that she spoke, which was, only the half had been told me. And we're not even going to think about the tears that were shed. We're not going to think about the pain that was suffered. Why? Because this is so much greater. It's, it's, it's an absurd reward. And it, it completely overshadows. It completely outshines all of the greatest riches and all of the worst trials on earth. So after all is said and done, no one is going to say, just like they didn't say in Luke chapter 5, that just wasn't worth it. No. Heaven will surely be worth it all, as we sometimes sing that hymn. Worth all the toils and tears that befall. After this life and all its strife, heaven will certainly be worth it all. Do you think that this morning? I would just say there are so many beautiful moments and spectacular things to behold all throughout the scriptures. There are even some beautiful things to, to behold throughout this life. But don't miss the ultimate point of it all which is that our ultimate goal is to be with God in heaven. And that is still the greatest reward that he promises for his servant today. So don't miss that point. Every wonderful thing, every beautiful thing, is just pointing us to the unfathomable wonders of heaven. Every hindrance and wearisome affliction will not be able to compare to the glory that awaits us in heaven. So Christian, have you let the weariness overcome you? Have you let that tiredness, the toil, bring you down and have you started sinking because you've looked around at the waves surrounding you remember who is master of it all remember who is master of even maybe your bad habits he can master over you and he can truly master over maybe the sin that you've allowed back into your life allow him to break that if you are not a Christian let me just say there is great peace comfort there's great joy, like you see at the end of Luke chapter 5 with the disciples. They left, they left the greatest catch they ever had to follow this man. You can have that same joy and comfort and provision. But, but you'll never have it if you don't put him on in baptism. So the question for you is, are, are you willing to be faithful to him? Are you willing to believe that he is who he says he is? Do you believe the reward that he promises? Are you willing to repent of all the things that he says will keep you from that promise? Are you willing to confess his name publicly, to, to pledge that allegiance to the king, and to be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life? If you are subject to the invitation of Christ this morning, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.